Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, welcome to the next installment of the SUAS News Podcast Series, where we interview newsmakers and discuss the news and applications relevant to the global unmanned technologies community. This is usually where, uh, well, I would say I'm the host, Patrick Egan, but I would also say, uh, you know, let's say hello to our co-host, Gene Robinson, but Gene Robinson is in the middle of a flight for NIST right now doing... um, the wildlife urban interface uh, work that he's been doing for a while. And uh, so he will not be on right now. He may check in later. Um, And we'll have to see how that goes. He just texted me that he's literally in the air. Lots of stuff going on in the news. Um, One thing that I did want to talk about was uh, the the Lady Gaga... um, little copter thing kind of interesting that was uh none other than gus calderon who was the speaker at the small unmanned systems business expo actually built that and then flew the gaga across the stage it's a pretty cool video but uh without further ado i want to bring on this week's guest uh this week's guest is uh mr douglas marshall i i met doug back in uh 2008 he was also on the small uas arc and we're going to talk about the roadmap and some test site stuff. Hello, Doug. Good morning, Patrick. How are you? I'm doing good. Another beautiful day out here in sunny California, and I'm rubbing that in because I know that you are a native Californian. I am indeed. <laughs> At what so, time? Go ahead. Sitting here enjoying enjoying the uh, the, uh, the cold here in sunny North Dakota, so a little bit different. <laughs> Yes, it is. I was in South Dakota last February, and uh, I think the high for the day was minus nine. And uh, I will say that uh, I was not, especially coming from California, I was like, wow, this is crazy. I wouldn't want to be in a drafty teepee. I don't know how they did it out there. I just, uh, it's crazy. But you've you've learned to uh, live in that type of weather, Doug. I have indeed. It's uh quite enjoyable here actually I, I i don't miss the crowds and the chaos in california i do miss the beaches and the warm weather but uh, i like it here all right well that's good so um maybe you could uh, introduce yourself to the audience little bio and how you uh, became involved with unmanned aircraft well as, as you just indicated I, i'm originally from california i was in the law business out there for a number of years and retired from that and came up to North Dakota to Grand Forks where I um, obtained a position as a member of the faculty of the College of Aerospace Science at the University of North Dakota. So I worked as a professor of aviation for a 
approximately 12 years um, before moving on to my current uh, assignment, which is at New Mexico State University down in Las Cruces, New Mexico. Um, I was involved in the, in the law practice, was involved in both aviation law and maritime law, so I have many years of exposure to the legal and regulatory side of aviation. I'm also a pilot and have represented a number of companies over the years involved in commercial aviation. Uh, how I got involved in UAS stuff was uh, basically, as things like this often happen, sticking my hand up and volunteering for something um, <laughs> a long time ago. Uh, uh, UND was a member university <clears throat> in a, an FAA research effort called SEGAR, which stands for the Center for General Aviation Research. There were five universities that were involved in that effort, and they performed a variety of research tasks for the FAA's tech center in Atlantic City, uh, most of them unrelated to unmanned systems, but all technically oriented. So the, uh, the CIGAR people came to the group and asked for volunteers to, to do some research on regulations and basically a gap analysis uh, uh, focusing on see and avoid technology and trying to de determine what uh, regulations uh, might apply to or uh, restrict the development of uh, the technology that would drive unmanned systems. And one of my colleagues, uh, Ben Trapnell, and I uh, volunteered to do this. And, and uh, Patrick, I think you know Ben. Mm -hmm. And Ben is a life member of the Academy of Model Aeronautics and an RC guy from way, way back, a former Navy pilot. So we uh, embarked on that uh, jointly and, and did a, uh, a long project for the FAA that uh, morphed into two or three more follow-on studies that uh, I did for regulation gap analysis. And just through the exposure to that and then starting to attend meetings and being involved in uh, RTCA's uh, SC203 uh, committee and some early ASTM work with F-38 and SAE uh, G-10 committees and uh, efforts through the DOD and some other efforts that were going on in North Dakota relating to the, uh, the bed down of the Global Hawk uh, mission for the Air Force up here at the Air Force Base and a variety of other efforts. It just, it's one of those things where it just kind of evolved. It wasn't, it, none of it was planned. <laughs> so here I am full-time in UAS, and it's really been an exciting ride. Uh, I left uh, UND about three, in fact, almost exactly three years ago to join the team at uh, New Mexico State, and uh, they have a long history in unmanned aircraft uh, research and development, so, so that's, that's where I am. <clears throat> well, you say, you know, it's, it sounds like you're you just a uh, newcomer to this, uh, teasing. Well, yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> I uh, well, I was going to say that I was down in Las Cruces. Um, I, I was down there. I don't know if it was last year to all kind of blend together for the NIE, but I did notice your name on one of the office doors at uh, NMSU. I got a I got a tour of the whole facility from our our mutual buddy Doug Davis, right. and uh, <clears throat> really nice uh, facility down there. Um, you guys are on the uh, other side of the Oregon Mountains, and uh, tons of unobstructed airspace, which I think your airspace also joins up with um, White Sands, doesn't it? Do you, you guys, uh, yep. 
Yeah, so it's a huge, huge uh, swath of airspace. Great hangar. Got, you got the aircraft down there, great facility. And uh, like I said, when I got the tour, I was like, hey, there's a, where's Doug? Is he here today? No. Yeah, well, I, but, I work out of my home for the most part uh, here in North Dakota. I do some traveling. I get down to Las Cruces periodically to to uh, interface with the team down there. So Hopefully it's in the wintertime. It's kind of toasty down there, especially yeah, for yeah. A guy from North Dakota might get a little, right. uh, little, little warm. But you know, the desert kind of grows on you after a while. Not really. It does. I, I love it there. It's a great place. <laughs> do you? Do you like the? Uh, you like the desert climate? I do. Yep, very much. I, I, and I like Las Cruces. It's a lovely community, and uh, I wish I could spend more time there. But circumstances are such that I'm here most of the time. <laughs> It is. It's not a bad town. I will say it's a little bit better. I usually uh, stay in Alamogordo, which is a little rougher. I don't know if you've been over there, but uh, yeah. passing through. Passing through. Yes, that's what most people do. Well, and um, so it sounds like you've been pretty busy since the arc. I remember, uh, you know, I've seen you a couple of times since then, and uh, even even when I like flash back on the arc, I mean, really, we uh, we we cut through a lot of material in a pretty short time. Uh, did. back then. I wish and we it, had more time. We needed we needed another year. But. I you know, I, I thought the same thing. It seemed though that they wanted to you know, I think at the time they were like, Oh, you know, we gotta get something together here, wrap it up, slap a bow on it, push this thing out. We got we got, you know, people to meet and places to be and uh you know, that was what, two thousand and nine? Right. <laughs> we're here now. Um are you are you happen to be on the uh, current arc? I, don't. Uh, I am as a subject matter expert on one aspect of it, the Part 91 stuff. So, okay. Uh, my boss, uh, Steve Hopman, is is an official member of that ARC, and I was asked to join the uh, the work group and some of the other efforts that have gone on uh, with specific uh, focus on some of the the, uh, the airspace regulations. So uh, the, the answer is yes and no. I'm, I'm not officially a member of, of the full ARC, but I am on a... Um, uh, two of the work groups, subgroups. And, and then just maybe a perspective question is, uh, any, um, what, what do you think compared to the small arc and this arc? Are you that involved that you could make uh, or getting an impression? Well, it's, the impression is, is that they, they've got a, a huge task in hand, um, even, I think, even bigger than the small arc, and it, it's moving slowly. Um, uh, you know, I think they have more time to do the work than, than we had on the small arc. But the small arc experience uh, kind of informs uh, the new arc, or arc two, because there's many of the same people are involved. And I think the uh, the experience that we had on the small arc was uh, good background for what's going on now. It's um, Of course, it's more comprehensive. It's a broader scope and uh, a, a bigger mandate than what we had on the small art. But they're, they're moving along. They, we've done some good work. Uh, we got out a recommendation on one aspect of Part 91 here recently that I, I thought was pretty well done. It, it's always a, always a challenge when you're talking about a consensus-based volunteer organization and trying to get you know everybody to come to, to the trough and and uh, agree on anything. So, uh, but that's what it's all about: is <laughs> get as many points of view as possible. Well, uh, I, yeah, that's true. And that's kind of funny. As I ran across, uh, you know, Bruce Tarbert on LinkedIn, and I was just actually this was yesterday, and I was thinking about that. And uh, 
you know, I'm sure you remember uh, the arc. It was there was a lot of varied interest on the small arc, and uh, you know, poor Bruce was in the hot seat a lot of the time. He was. Uh, he and Ted put up with a lot of nonsense, uh, and, I, and I say that affectionately. Uh, <laughs> you know, there was just uh, such a broad spectrum of points of view on this, and that was good. Uh, I learned a lot in that experience. I really did. It was uh, an amazing opportunity to hear the points of view of such a divergent community of people with different interests, but all ultimately wanting the same thing, which is to try to come to an agreement on how we can advance this technology and, and the, the potential uses for it without endangering lives. And that's, uh, you know, I thought it was important work. I really do. And I still do. I, I, I'm, I, I wish we, we could see the final outcome of that sooner than they have. You know, now they're, they're talking about spring for the NPRM, and, and that's been frustrating to, to know how much time and work we put into that and then have it drag out for three more years. But um, it was a great experience. It was a good experience, and, uh, you know, I kind of miss the, uh, it, it was kind of something that it's kind of hard to explain to people because they go, well, you know, they, it's hard for them to wrap their heads around that arc type of thing, and and really for, I think it was like 10 months plus or something that we actually right. all worked together. Um, I mean, we we really worked together. I mean, I didn't, I, I think at the beginning of that, I didn't realize the, the scope of work, but I mean, that thing turned into a full-time, full-time gig, you know. Right. Uh, you know, telecoms and, and scope, all week. Uh, right, and the scope expanded and and changed as we went along. I mean, the the uh, the FA and and the co-chairs were flexible enough in the approach to allow us to make some adjustments along the way. But yeah, you're right. It was it became much more intense than I think any of us anticipated. Uh, a lot more travel than we we all anticipated. But it was all good, and those face-to-face meetings were. You know, they were pretty wild at times, but uh, in, in addition to the just the nitty-gritty of, of hashing out our different points of view, uh, I made some good friends, too. I met, met some people, yourself included, that I, I consider friends, and, and uh, you know, that wouldn't have happened but for that experience. So I really value that, that whole 10-month period. It's been great. I would agree with all of that. I, and I do think, you know, even in these, uh, the day of, I, I do think you can do the cyber commuting and I do think you can uh, do all of that and correspond and whatnot. But I, I really thought that the rubber met the road at the face-to-faces. I mean, uh, the, you know, passion came out of people. And I know that, uh, you know, I was, I was a little bit of a wallflower. I didn't say much during that yeah, whole right. process. <laughs> I know, but uh, but there was some, you know, really the, the, to, um, you know, the, the other guy that really sticks out, the guy, you know, people like Dave York, you know, Dave was like, you know, he really, he was really passionate about his, uh, you know, his constituency and 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 how he right. felt, and 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 you can really, you can't get that inflection over the uh, internet, and and so you're right, the face to face thing really. Uh, I think it was very important. Although, on the other hand, I think, uh, you know, there was, there was a while there, I think Bruce took a lot of what I said as personal, which it wasn't personal. I, I, I didn't, I like Bruce. I think he's a great guy. Unfortunately, he was the, the masthead for the, uh, the machine. And, uh, you know, he had to suffer the slings and arrows. And I think that was a little bit of a, a you know, test and testament to his patience, you know. Because right. I know I was, uh, towards the end there, I was getting under his skin a little bit. <laughs> Wasn't on purpose. 
But I think that it's probably the better description of, of his role became a lightning rod because everything that kind of uh, reflected off of him and, and, and Ted to a, a lesser extent. But, you know, Bruce was the face of the FAA throughout this whole thing. And, and we know he had marching orders and he had certain agendas that he, he needed to, to pursue and that frustrated a lot of people. But, uh, you know, I think he did a good job. Yeah, for the for what he for for the hand he was dealt, he had the cards he had to play, he had to do them. You know, I think he did a pretty good job. I mean, you know, uh, I, I uh, it, it, that was a little bit of a um, exercise and, and a little bit more than exercise and just cat herding. But anyway, well, so that well, go ahead. No, I was just going to say what one of the uh, kind of a, a side benefit to me personally was uh, at the time that I was involved in the arc or uh, we were in all these meetings. I was also teaching a grad level course at UND on regulation, FAA regulations and, and uh, policies. And so I was able to use the experience uh, almost real time to describe how the rulemaking process works at the FAA and, you know, laying out this whole 15-step process to change a rule, that sort of thing. And I come back and tell stories about, you know, some of our meetings and how this whole process was working and, and uh, it made it really real to the students to understand that this is how business gets done. It may not be the most efficient way of getting it done, but trying to explain to anybody, a, a layperson who, who's not really familiar with uh, not only the FAA, but just the, the government regulatory process of why and how it takes so long to change things, um, it, it's hard unless, unless you, you actually are involved in it. Uh, at, a, at a grassroots level to actually see how it works and and try to explain to people and sit there and shake their heads and say it just can't possibly be that way but it is you know it's just when you have a, a country of 330 million people that all have the potential for having a say so in the outcome of a rule <laughs> you know it's, it's, potentially it's chaos well, it's good to hear that they benefited from that, too. I'm sure that must have been a very uh, interesting class as this progressed. Yeah, well, and, and I think it's good uh, background for today's subject, and we did talk about that for a while. It was very interesting, but <clears throat> let's, uh, you know, the roadmap and the documents that came out, the comprehensive plan, yada, yada. Uh, I'm going to say that I, w I, I was uh, reluctant to read the documentation, and Gene was like, fired me an email as soon as he got done. Did you see this? Did you read through this? And I'm like, hmm. No, and, and I kind of looked at uh, all of this with a uh, a little bit of dread, uh, and which we'll go into later. But uh, mainly, it was because I figured I'm I'm going to go through this, I'm going to read through this, and then I'm going to have to fire off letters to a bunch of people, and I've got a whole bunch of drafts already going. One to my my good friend Peggy Gilligan. We we talk all the time, me and Peggy. <laughs> She's great, and uh, some other people uh, about what I saw in there. But you know, let's uh, let's talk about since you're the guest. What what are some of the points that struck you? Wow, um, <laughs> some well, of the bigger ones. Yeah, some of the bigger ones. I mean, there's a lot there, and and I've read through it all too. But I, I can't say that I could quote chapter and verse on any of it because it's it's very lengthy and and there's just a lot of content there, but. Uh, one thing that kind of leaped out at me was they're uh, repeatedly emphasizing that the time frames, the, the near-term, mid-term, and long-term, and some of the dates that they were discussing were targets, target dates for compliance with uh, uh, the mandates and not mandates themselves. 
and they're still holding that kind of uh, as a a trump card to say we're we're going to do the best we can to to meet these targets, but you know keep in mind that uh, uh, we may not be able to comply. And, and what you read in between the lines on that is we need help, and, and you've got a mandate here without any funding to back it up. And I'm not sure how they can do all of this or accomplish all of this without additional support from Congress in the form of uh, funding. I just don't. I mean, that's that's one big thing that, that strikes me is targets versus mandates. Right. And I, you know, I, I saw a lot of that too. And, and in, you know, even, and I'm going to use airworthiness as an example, you know, develop or facilitate the development of, I mean, these are um, from the experience in the arc and from experience of being part of this effort that, just that constitutes a huge amount of work. And, you know, I, I will say that even back, the language that was uh, in H.R. 658, that was one of the big things that I saw lacking in, in that bill was there's no money. There's no money at all here. And, you know, that's not how the government machine works. And I'm not saying, you know, to be derogatory, but I mean, you know, there's there's groups that you're going to have to uh, hire out and there's research that's going to need to be done. And then you're going to have to get the engineers in here to, you know, let's say, could, you know, qualify all of that uh, data. I mean, th there's a there's a lot there in it in that sentence. So I, I kind of well, saw the same thing. Sure. And it's, you know, we have sequestration, which goes across the entire government with these huge budget cutbacks that everybody's had to deal with. But for Congress to, to mandate certain things that those on the inside know what the complexities are and not put any money behind it, I think is insane. It's, it's, it's almost a recipe for failure because, uh, you know, the, I think the FAA is already overwhelmed and they're overburdened with, with responsibilities and mandates and, and they've got, you know, their primary safety function and they've got a very complex and very vigorous airline industry to oversee. Uh, along with, you know, implementing next gen and, and just trying to bring the entire system up to speed and, and getting and modernizing the air traffic control system. Um, I have great sympathy for the FAA at this point of understanding what their task is and how they're going to try to uh, meet those mandates and, and uh, comply with what's required of them without additional funding to back it up. I, I don't know how they're going to do it. I just don't. I would agree with that. And and the other thing, I, I, maybe I'll ask your opinion, because I hit on this topic a lot. Um, you know, I think coming into it, uh, you know, there was some pressure from some of the different groups, and you got to do something in this unmanned aircraft thing, and oh, you know, sky's falling, yada, yada. But I think they kind of came into it, and as like the, I, and I've noticed this on several occasions during the arc, when it really came to light what was going on out in the NAS with uh, even the RC stuff and the hobby guys, and then what was coming online with the uh, small business and, and commercial stuff, I think they were totally blown away with the scope and size of it. Your, your comments. Well, I think uh, that's true. I, uh, we know from, just from, other information that uh, we've gotten along the way that that until recently the FAA's uh, priority list of priorities of things they need to get done over the short term and the midterm uh, had UAS way down at the bottom of the list. I mean, like 15th or 16th, and weren't taking this seriously. 
And uh, this has been a wake-up call when, you know, finally Congress stepped up and said, no more dithering, you, you know, you got to get this done in response to the pressures and, and all that was coming from, from the constituents. Um, I, I think that they were blindsided to a certain extent, but on the other hand, they should have seen it coming because those that have been working in this area have been telling the FAA for quite some time, this isn't going to go away. This is a, you know, you can't look at it as a problem that needs to get dealt with. You have to look at it as, as an opportunity to, uh, to help evolve uh, an emerging technology and in a way that's actually uh, paralleled or um, uh, consistent with their efforts on next gen, which have been in place for longer than this. So I, I agree with your statement. I think they are blown away. But now, you know, uh, the reality is it's going to have to get done. And right. That's what this roadmap is all about. Is a, is sort of a shotgun approach to, you know, finally somebody taking a deep breath and saying, "It looks like we can't avoid this any longer. We're going to have to deal with this, and this is this is what we're seeing." Well, I, and yeah, I would I would also say that you know, in, in the early days, let's let's you know, jump in the wayback machine and dial it back to say 2004 or something. There were there was a lot of people who thought you know this this unmanned aircraft thing would probably be a military thing. The rest of it's kind of a you know a joke and and never going anywhere. And people were saying things like, oh, and there's the first accident. This whole industry's going down the tubes and it'll be forgotten about. Um, and I think that that carried on for a few years, but we are we are definitely uh, way beyond that now. And I and I think that that realization was made a couple of few years ago, where people were like, "Well, it's not going away." Uh oh. You know. Well, I think the the standing up of the uh, the, the small arc, <clears throat> excuse me, was maybe the first acknowledgement. In, well, in SC two hundred three, I know you know they. They put that committee together to try to deal with some of this way back in the day, but uh, the small arc was really the first aggressive effort to to try to come up with something. Um, but it's you know the FAA has been drugged into this kicking and screaming like <laughs> they, they really didn't want to have to deal with this, but the reality is that they do. And uh, and you know there's been a lot of reorganization and rethinking administratively and within the executive leadership of the organization to try to deal with this and uh, w with the acceptance or the growing uh, realization that the evolution of this technology will also benefit the evolution of next gen and some of the other bigger efforts uh, you know we're, we're on the same side of this issue now instead of being in, uh, in contention for the attention or the funding uh, from the agency or from the outside from the industry Right, and and I would concur with uh, those points, and I'd also say that uh, you know I think that the unmanned thing even represents more to aviation in the sense that it, it's kind of like if we've seen in other sectors is the technological jump. Um, you know, we've technology has kind of uh, come along and offered us all of these new, let's say, opportunities, and also uh, let's say advantages for safety and whatever else. And aviation had, had kind of changed a little bit in, in the past, and, and it, it evolved. But then I think we hit this, this um, kind of technology milestone, and things are really picking up with uh, the different sensors and uh, autopilots and, and uh, other electronics and things. And I think that uh, both of them could be beneficial, mutually beneficial to uh, aviation as a whole. Well, I agree. And, it's, it's, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead and finish your thought. 
Oh no, you're the guest. Go for it. That's well, what you're saying. Been, you know, people you know uh, that have questioned the the benefit of the space program. Uh, you know, the skeptics say, "What do we ever get out of the the entire you know multi billion dollar space program?" Well, we get uh, uh, what Velcro and and some drink mix, you know, orange drink mix, you know, tang. that's the only thing we accomplished out of, yeah, Tang, that was it. And not much else other than just the fact of exploration and, and advancing technology. You know, wh- what did the space program do for humanity? What did it do for technology? What did we learn from the technology that was developed to, to send men into space? Um, and that's, you know, obviously that's, that's an unfair characterization, but when you talk about unmanned systems uh, and the potential for life-saving technology uh, to be developed out, out of the evolution of unmanned systems technology is huge. Uh, you know, something that comes to mind that just happened, a tragedy over the last couple of days was uh, one of our congressmen lost his son in a general aviation accident uh, a couple of days ago. I think it was an orthopedic surgeon that uh, died flying somewhere was out of Tennessee or somewhere. Um, you know, we don't know what the circumstances were and what caused the accident, and Somewhere in the United States, I think the statistics are still like two general aviation deaths per day on the average in this country, even though mm. we have an incredibly safe system. But that's, it's over 600 a year, uh, people that die in GA accidents. And more often than not, it's, it's weather-related or flying into um, you know, clouds or into severe thunderstorms by pilots who are not qualified to fly in that kind of weather or getting in trouble of some sort uh, where they can't get out of it. And one of the <clears throat> many technologies that's devo- developing out of unmanned systems is autoland technology, mm-hmm. you know, the, you know, autoland a, a predator or some of the smaller systems. And <clears throat> those kind of systems, I think, someday are going to be standard uh, uh, installations in, in GA aircraft where a pilot gets into trouble or loses control of an airplane that, uh, it'll self-correct, and it'll be able to fly somebody out of a of a life-threatening situation like that, and and that's you know that's uh, an oversimplification of, of what's, what the potential is. But I think there's opportunities for tremendous uh, uh, technology growth within this industry that would apply to manned aviation. It'll come under UAS, and it's you know it has to be looked at like that. It's not just a plaything or a toy or a way for somebody to make a living over the short term. It really some technology is going to develop that will benefit all of everybody in, in, in the manned aviation world as well. Well, I can I concur with that. And I think there's a lot of promise with the ADSB and and some other systems that are coming online. And uh, I agree. I, I think there's going to be a lot of cross-pollinization. You know, your space example is good. And, <clears throat> again, it was kind of an oversimplification because I like the rocks. No. I'm teasing. There's so much stuff that came out of the uh, space program. And the other thing I think that really came out of the space program for the human race was, you know, when, when, and I wasn't alive then, I'm not that old, but, you know, when Kennedy was like, we're going to the moon, you know, people were like, he's crazy, you know, we'll never be able to do that. But there was some bravado there and people are like, yeah, you know what, we're going to do that. And the human race was able to do that. You know, I mean, I think that when, when uh, Neil Armstrong stepped on the moon as boot print, people were like, wow, you know, humans could do anything they really put their mind to. So, I, you know, and I like commercial space is totally exciting. And that's another podcast for another time. I love commercial space. I think there's tons of potential there. That was another thing I was doing down at New Mexico State University. 
Because isn't uh, that's the uh, isn't the FAA Center for Excellence for Space at New Mexico State University too? Yes, it is. Yep, yep, sure is. And in fact, New Mexico State is the uh, the host program for that. I, you know, New Mexico has got a, a long history. <coughs> excuse me, in the space program, as you know, as well as uh, well just aviation in general, and, and that the range or the the area that is part of our flight test area has been a proving ground or a testing range for space program for decades so uh, there's a long history there yeah no i was all over and i forget the launch site is it 34 where uh von braun was working with the uh when they with all the captured v2s right. because yeah the, uh, the, yeah the last time the i was down the white there, sands test facility right yeah the last uh last time i was down there i went over that whole thing with a fine-tooth comb uh it was you know Really exciting, you know. This is this is kind of where the the space thing started. I, but that's a, space is another show. I've had right, we had Pat Pat Hines on, and uh, she was it was very oh. interesting. Yeah, uh, she's she's a she's a very nice lady. I'm trying to get her out. I want to try and get her out to the Small Unmanned Systems Business Expo because we got some we got some space people out here, and she's uh, she's a great speaker and a great person. I, I really like her. Um, but I did want to talk about, since we're in the roadmap, and I also want to talk about the test center thing. And, you know, one thing, I mean, I know you were involved, and maybe you could give some background. We could talk about that. But that was another big sticking point for me with the test centers was like, uh, you know, no dinero here. Uh, how is this going to happen? I mean, the infrastructure to set something like this up is uh, one expensive to develop. And then also uh, the overhead of running something like this is, is just crazy expensive. What, what right. do you think? Well, I, I agree. And, and I think that the, the, the major challenge for the successful applicants or proponents for this thing will be uh, putting in place a business plan that actually makes some sense, and I, I know that was part of the the uh, SIR or the uh, screening information request requirement was to come up with uh, sort of a pro forma business plan as to how they were going to make make each site uh, financially feasible or successful without some kind of funding, uh, federal funding to back it up. Um, I think it's going to be a heck of a task. It really, it's, it's going to be difficult for anybody to break even off of this unless they can create, you know, technical parks. And I think uh, North Dakota is doing something like that. And I believe uh, Kansas and perhaps Alaska are, are doing more than just, you know, pitching for the test site, but actually have a tech park that would be attached to it somehow that would draw businesses in and bring in employment and uh, high-tech uh, jobs into the area. But, one of the mysteries of this whole process, the flight test center process, is how the the FAA intends to administer it, and that's something I'm anxious to see. Uh, once the the six designees are are identified and selected, and they've accepted the task at that point, is uh, how is the FAA going to oversee the program? Uh, do they have the staff and the resources and the bodies to actually? Uh, uh, comply with the oversight requirements to to create something like this. If they're going to delegate some sort of uh, authority for airworthiness uh, certifications or uh, pilot certifications or any of those different components of the flight test centers, uh, that, that brings with it liability issues and other requirements 
that that the FAA is going to have to deal with, and if they're going to designate, you know, each of these successful proponents as a, a DER, DAR kind of designee, then there has to be some money behind that. Uh, nobody's going to do it for free. And uh, I suspect that it's not going to come from ministry. They're not going to pay for that. So I don't know. I, I'm curious. I really am. Um. Yeah, me too. Uh, it's kind of funny is when this, uh, you know, I've been dealing with my congressperson's office uh, on this matter, the unmanned aircraft matter for since almost day one. And, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the aides called me up and it was uh, when the test site thing was announced and they're like, how much is this thing worth? And I go, well, you know, you talk to people. Some people are going to say billions. All right, that's all I needed to know. Click, you know. Right. <laughs> but nobody's talking about funding any of this. And if there's no funding... You're going to have a hard time uh, making things happen. Oh, hey, look at this. Gene Robinson showed up. Gene. Hello, Patrick. Hello, Doug. I, I've just heard a little bit of what you were saying. And, uh, man, I, I've got to agree with you 100%. We've been kind of wondering those questions, too. But, uh, yeah, I'm sure that uh, your insight is, is probably significantly more involved than mine is. But, yeah, sorry I'm late. Uh, I just uh, got done landing a, an aircraft. We're out at Arcoa site doing some uh, some training, and uh, it's a, a beautiful, chilly Texas morning, and uh, the, the flying is great, and uh, won't be able to stay real long, but I wanted to stop in and say hi and, and uh, see how you guys were doing. Well, you know, we're glad that you came in. Uh, we were just kind of talking about uh, the test sites thing, but, uh, you know, I'd like to, because uh, we're kind of jumping back and forth, and, and we may run a little long, but that's okay with me. Um, what do you, I know, you know, you, I was telling Doug you know, that, that uh, as soon as the documentation came out, you were emailing me, and you're like, hey, you got to read this, and I was reluctant, and uh, so now I read the comprehensive plan, and, of course, I've got a whole, you know, stack of letters I need to write, so the the apprehension came true. Um, you know, maybe you might want to share some of your your thoughts on 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 that documentation, Gene. Well, it uh, it has been lauded as a step forward. Uh, I don't know that I'd question that. What uh, what really concerns me more than anything else, Patrick, and and I'm sure Doug too. Uh, if you think about it, you know they've been supposedly working on this issue since February 13, 2007. So that's, uh, let's see, by my math, that's what, five years or so? Um, you know, pushing almost six years. And then in the roadmap, they they try to convince us that this regulatory process is a very difficult thing and a normal process takes five years. And since this is so complex, it could take five to ten years. I'm a little concerned with, with that statement and, and the, the fact that they're, they've basically started uh, first rattled out of the box. They're trying to make an excuse on the complexity of the issue when I think all of us, if we sat down and kind of put together a common sense approach to this thing and looked at where we needed to be in this in the, in the national airspace, it, and I don't know that it would take five years. I, I don't know that it should have taken the five years or six years that we've been on it, but here we are. And we're supposedly moving forward, but man, it, it it's at a glacial speed. Well, we did we did cover some of that, and I think you know there are certain aspects, and I would agree. I think there's there's definitely a certain class that could have already uh, probably you know gone 
uh, and we did cover some of that. Now, when I see, you know, when I when I look through this, I agree. And me and Ned, uh, Doug kind of talked about this. You know, develop or facilitate the development of standards for, you know, airworthiness and pilot certification. And I do sure, see something. Sure. I, I see something here. This routine access by 2020. You know, uh, 14 CFR Part 91. <laughs> And I, I started putting the numbers together, and I'm like, damn it, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be, uh, you know, I mean, there, there's not going to be too many years left for me to be in a, a in this industry before I'm going to be retired. Doug, any comments? Well, I'm going to be long retired by then. So, uh, I'll continue to follow it, you know, as a, as an interested observer, but. Uh, um, they're, they're continuing to kick the can down the road to use, you know, an overused cliche, but that's really what's going on. And, and, and that's concern. Uh, on the other hand, <clears throat> I understand it's almost predictable because what they're trying to do is to integrate or fit a new technology into an incredibly complex regulatory system that has evolved over the last 60 years. Uh, and it does take four to five years to change a rule. I mean, that's just the reality of why it takes so long. And to try to, to merge all of this into the existing regulations or to come up with a new part that's going to deal with all this is an enormous task. But uh, as Gene just pointed out, you know, they started this six years ago. Uh, we should have been further down the line than we are. Well, you're not getting any argument out of me. But I do realize that it takes time to whittle the, the sides off of the square peg. They're trying to, you know, hammer through the round hole. Um, I don't think that the two models really – I think that was one of the problems early on. And uh, the, the two models don't really work together. You know, you've got, I think, a different, you know – set of things that you need to deal with than what we're dealing with over here. And especially on the real small side, I think it's a real mistake. There was not some sort of an exemption for the under four pounds, which I wrote another one. Uh, I think you would have people really gravitating towards that. And the, the sensors and the systems are just getting smaller and lighter. And uh, if you made something that was really easy, and I know I'm probably preaching to the choir, but easy to use and uh, even small and low kinetic energy and all the rest of that, people would just gravitate right to that, and you would contain a big part of that right here, um, and you'd have less of a problem. And, uh, you know, that just wasn't done. And I, I, I think it, that flashes back into the not really understanding the scope of what they were dealing with when they jumped into this. Um, you know, that, that's well, me I, personally. No, I think you're right. And, and we had an opportunity, uh, you know, a, a window that closed, unfortunately, to, to do what you're suggesting or something along those lines until the privacy issue popped up. And that kind of took everything in a, in a you know, along the wrong fork down the road of, of uh, the people that don't understand the technology and don't understand uh, the implications uh, suddenly getting on board with uh, – you know, the, the privacy thing, and, and that sidetracked everything now. And now the FAA is getting into the privacy and security business, mm -hmm. which isn't yeah. the date. And well, Doug, I mean, do, you, do you really think that that wasn't a red herring of sorts to, to kind of buy some time? It seemed to be very opportune, and, uh, you know, it allowed for – now, I agree, the FAA should not be involved in privacy issues. Uh, especially ones that already exist, but it was—it seems to me to be con a, a very convenient 
uh, inconvenience, if you know what I mean. Right. Well, yeah, I'm not sure if it was truly coincidental or, or planned, but it, they had warnings. Um, you know, that, uh, I'm going to take credit for this. I gave a speech about six years ago at a conference that University of Colorado Boulder put on um, on uh, civil UAS. And it was a, a well-attended conference. There was, I don't know, three or 400 people there in Boulder. And at the last minute, it wasn't even on the original agenda, uh, the, the steering committee thought we ought to talk about privacy implications uh, for these small systems. And so literally overnight I threw together a presentation and got up and, and did a 30-minute piece on, you know, the technology that's out there, like facial recognition software and other things that could be used to identify somebody and, and put it all on the Internet. And it actually kind of caused an eruption in the room of people that were really up, upset about it and think, you know, we hadn't even thought about this. You know, what are you talking about? Privacy? You know, this can't happen. <laughs> and, well, okay, here we are. It did happen. And, uh, you know, th- that was, I think, the first wake-up call. that There were FAA people in the room that, that should have been thinking about this. And it, and it elicited a lot of comment after that. But, no, it's, it's, it shouldn't have been a surprise. But, you know, they're acting like it has been, and, and it's, it's taken us off in a different direction now. It's unfortunate. It has. Now, let me just say to the listeners, we're going to run long on this show, and I, I hope that you have time, Doug, because uh, we're—I think—we're in some real. Uh, we're in—we're—we're we're down here in the in the grass, and I—I I think it's good conversation. Uh, so, you know, do you mind uh, going a little bit longer? No, that's fine. And well, I know Gene. Cooperate. Yes, Gene. Uh, we are about to start another pre-flight, so I am going to have to exit stage left. So okay. I, I appreciate your being on, Doug, and, and man, your insight is great because, uh, you know, I heard some of it coming in, and you're right on target. And I'm going to go out and, and see if we can have another successful flight. Okay, sounds okay, good, Dave. Gene. We'll, we'll see you next week. Okay, fine. Yeah. Yeah, now, you know, even delving a little further into the privacy thing. Now, I, I do believe that, uh, you know, people may have concerns, but uh, – I think that, you know, and I had kind of brought this up to the community before. I mean, it really kind of heated up with the military use of this technology. And as I tell a lot of people, I say, well, you know, some people think that military technology is really cool until it's driving down your street, like a tank or, or something else. And I think people don't understand this technology. And I think as a community, we've done a poor job of, I'd say portraying ourselves as as a technology that does more than just military jobs. Agree, disagree with that? I agree. I think we've done a terrible job of educating the public on the peaceful and humanitarian uses for these systems. Um, trying to separate ourselves from, you know, what's going on in Afghanistan and Iraq and, and in other parts of the world where these systems are used offensively. Um, and just the use of the word drone. To, to describe these things, you know, it's a, it become a pejorative term uh, that the media uses. Uh, number one, because it's it's easier to say than unmanned systems, but I think it evokes a, a visceral response from people that it's kind of unfair to folks like yourself that are, are wanting to use uh, this technology for you know commercial or, or peaceful uses. It's they're they're two different things. They're they really are mixing apples and oranges when they talk about a a four-pound quadcopter as being a drone. It's not. But, uh, that's well, the, the community... 
the community is 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 uh, complicit in it too because there's you know it's kind of funny i was talking to a, a gentleman yesterday and he was like wow you know i'm really he was a commercial space guy but he was saying you know i'm getting into this unmanned aircraft thing and it really seems like the different facets of this community are compartmentalized and I said, yeah, they are. And they've actually grown because it was kind of a, you know, back in the early days we had, yeah, you had your commercial guys, you know, and I'm not discounting the RC guys, but they were always there and they're still here. And you had your military guys and people were kind of doing their different things. And now you have, you know, this amateur crowd, which is almost a placeholder between RC and small business. And amateur to me is really a euphemism for if if an opportunity comes along for me to make some money, I'll do it. You know, I'm not, I'm not really doing that. I'm kind of out tinkering and doing stuff. But if it comes along, I will do that. And some of those people have um, really gone nuts with the hype. You know, this is, I'm working on military technology in my basement and blah, blah, blah. And uh, some of, let's say, the detractors have kind of latched onto that. And they're like, oh, my God, you know, there's people tinkering with military technology in their basement. And... You know, I don't know what scary thoughts that conjures up, but I did know that even before, you know, this, this thing really heated up with the drones and the military thing, people were afraid of the Terminator uh, type of, of, of issues, you know, that, uh, and people would ask me, oh, you know, is this thing going to turn on us and, and, and kill us or, you know, whatever else? And I'm like, uh, no, not really. Uh, you know, if if that technology really existed like that, you know, the military would love it, but uh, it's not here today, you know, but that's always something. And it's kind of like, you know, there's a there's a Mary Shelley quote from, from Frankenstein that, you know, you are my creator, but I am your master, obey. And I, I think that in the American psyche, there's always in the back of their heads that we're going to we're going to have some technology that we put out there and it's going to come back and bite us in the rear. Do you think that's a fair assessment? Well, <laughs> there, there's always a potential for technology getting out of hand. I mean, the, the social media is the best example of that right now. With you know, people are concerned about their privacy, but then they'll put all kinds of nonsense on Facebook and, and uh, YouTube and on all the rest of that. So, you know, any technology can be misused. Uh, you know, you can put a, a, a shotgun on, a, on an RC helicopter and and there's always going to be knuckleheads to, who want to take it to the extreme and abuse the technology or, or pretend to do something that isn't realistic. And, and that makes it look bad for everybody else. But that, and that's why you have a regulatory environment to try to stop that kind of behavior. But um, uh, the, the potential for abuse is always there. I mean, you can take any piece of technology and figure out some way to abuse it or misuse it, and somebody can get hurt with it. And that's, that's the, the reality of, of the world that we live in. Yes, and trying to uh, regulate uh, knuckleheads out of existence has been proven uh, too difficult to do. It's too difficult. There's too many of them, actually. <laughs> too many ways to be a knucklehead. But, exactly. There you could write a book, and you know the ways right. to be a knucklehead. Um, yeah, and you know I think those are some good points. And you know the um, I, I think I'm going to say, and as we come to a close here, that uh, on, on some. And we've touched on these points. On some, on some of these points, I'm, I'm surprised that, you know, we got more Frankenstein, that the villagers are not at the gates, you know, with the pitchforks and the torches going, you know. Uh, there's a lack of action here, and it's putting us behind the curve with the rest of the world. 
And I will also say that I think it would be, you know, I've, I've had, I've talked to people who are, uh, let's say, new to this, but they're the regulatory people for certain big companies. And it, it's almost scary how uninformed they are, how hands-off they are, and just think that all of this stuff is just going to work itself out. And we're all going to, you know, skip down the path here uh, happily. Kind of scary. I, I'm going to suggest that uh, everyone read and understand the material that was just put out because it's very telling. Doug? Yeah, I agree. It's, uh, there's a lot to absorb there, but it tells you, I think it gives a pretty good picture of the FAA's thinking and, and what we can expect over the next uh, five to ten years on how they're going to try to deal with these issues. Well, and you just hit on a good point there, because a lot of the people that I talk to, there's a lot of people out there in the community who are, are I don't even know where they got this. Maybe it was, you know, kind of, we, we've turned into a headline information society. Uh, but, you know, tw- September 2015, full access to the NAS, you're going to be able to do whatever you want to do. You're going to be able to go nuts. Exactly. No, not anytime soon. So, uh, you know, it's an interesting conversation. I, I think you brought a lot to the table today, a lot of uh, good insights, Doug, and I want to thank you for coming on. Um, I look forward to seeing you in the future, and uh, maybe you can make it out to the uh, the expo in San Francisco. I don't know if you ever make it out here to California anymore. Oh, yeah, I'm out there several times a year, so you know, I can arrange to try to get out to, to your event. Well, that would be interesting, um, you know, I, and also, um, you know, hopefully, like I said, we cross paths here if soon in the future. Thanks again for being on, and, um, you know, we'll, we'll see everyone next week. Okay, thanks for inviting me, Patrick. I enjoyed the conversation. Me too, sir. Have a good week. All right. Take care. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.